Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we are in the midst of a series that's been kind of an experiment for us, taking a look at pieces of pop culture, movies, books, songs, poetry, cartoons, I suppose, uh, and places where it's impacted our uh, faith or uh, had something that's connected with our own either faith journey or helped us see something about our faith stories individually. And over the last couple episodes, uh, we highlighted things that basically were like positive kind of connections or positive learnings, maybe we could say. Um, and uh, now we're going to do a slightly different round uh, of, uh, where each of us is going to get to take an episode to highlight a piece of pop culture that maybe has uh, exposed or revealed something uh, unpleasant or something that is a uh, place where we, we mess up on our faith, where we are hypocritical or where, where religion messes up, um, and what these outside voices can teach us um, that maybe we aren't good at identifying for ourselves from the inside, especially for us as you know religious professionals who like theoretically like church. <laughs> Um, so uh, let's let's start if if you're willing, Sarah. Uh, take us back to the top of the batting order. Introduce us to something. Yeah. So the movie I want to talk about today is Saved, which came out in 2004. It stars Mandy Moore, Jenna Malone. I think is how you pronounce her last name. Macaulay Culkin. Um, this movie came out, like I said, 2004, which I was in high school. So I really loved this movie. I was the target audience for this movie. Um, and I was able to identify quite strongly with Hilary Faye, which is the character I want to talk about today because she is who you should probably not try to be, <laughs> but is who I most strongly identified with okay. in high school. Um, Hilary Faye is the girl everybody wants to be in high school. She like is like she's played by Mandy Moore, so she's beautiful she can she's very talented at singing she presumably has good grades and she is the quote-unquote perfect christian right so she is who everybody in this really weird christian high school wants to be because for some reason everybody in this christian high school are actually christians (laughs) instead of just kids who happen to go to a christian high school um with the exception of like one jewish girl and hillary faye's brother Roland, who is very critical of the Christian faith okay. that his family seems to hold. Um, but she she tries to project this image of perfectionism, which is something that in high school I very much wanted to do and to be. I wanted to be perceived as perfect. Hmm. Like I didn't really want anybody to see those flaws that I was holding so dear and deep inside of me. Um, which I think completely backfired for me because (laughs) the way I tried to project this perfectionism was by being quiet. Hmm. Um, which is not what Hillary Faye does at all. (laughs) She very much like tries to take the spotlight that, so that everybody can see her, like how perfect she is. Like she is such a good Christian and so, therefore, doesn't she deserve the perfect Christian boyfriend mm. who is the principal pastor's son, who is a skateboarding missionary? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. It was 2004. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how you save lives for Christ is right. you, you skateboard. Right, uh-huh. And he has perfect hair. So, 
awesome. Shouldn't he be her boyfriend? Because she's perfect. And um, so, yeah, she just tries to ex ex What's that word I'm looking Exude? for? Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> Perfectionism. And I think that as we go further on into the movie, it's revealed by her brother Roland that, oh, Hilary Faye didn't always look perfect. You know, our his, uh, Roland backstory is um, confined to a wheelchair. He fell out of a tree when he was quite young and broke his back, I think lower back, and so he's paralyzed from the waist down. And so he reveals that... His parents then had two handicapped kids. Hillary Faye was the easy fix. So they put all of their efforts and energy and money into fixing her. Um, which apparently he talked a little bit about she was sent to fat camp. She had a lot of dental stuff happened. Mm -hmm. She went and saw doctors about really bad acne and... I think something also with her hair. But basically they did a bunch of stuff to fix physical flaws or their perceived physical flaws and I think that you know having that happen at quite a young age the message you're going to get is yeah I should try to be perfect mm -hmm. and in her family and in her world of going to this very elite Christian conservative school also meant certain religious things as well like being you know being the person who has equipment for saving people. I'm not really sure what that equipment was. Probably pamphlets of some kind. Probably. <laughs> but like she like had this routine of when she was sitting down to save someone from their sins. Like, oh, first we have to list all of your sins. And then we, you know, pray for God to forgive them. And then I'm not really sure because the scene cut away. But presumably she then like walked them through decision theology of you have to decide to be saved and then Jesus saves you. Um, but yeah, she very much, you know, and she wants to know from the skateboarding perfect Christian boy whose name I think is Patrick, you know, which country has the worst heathens? Like, because, <laughs> you know, in that sense of knowing, oh, you're really bad, like you've sinned mm -hmm. in such a way makes me feel better about myself because I haven't sinned in that way. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a constant thing for Hillary Faye is, you know, oh, yes, let's pray for Dean, the student who was outed as being gay, because that's a sin of his, because she sees that as a sin. Um, and I'm, I don't sin in that way, so therefore I am now better mm -hmm. than this other student oh, this student has a teen pregnancy. I'm not pregnant. I haven't had sex with a boy because Jesus frowns upon that. So, therefore, I am better than this student. Um, and that's kind of a constant thing for her is feeling better about herself because this other character is now perceived as less than. Hmm. So... Um, I mean, there, there are some obvious immediate places where this, this connects to uh, our, our daily lived faith life. And in ways, we don't have to reach quite like Casablanca or a flat world on the backs of turtles uh, platching witchcraft. Um, or even the, the kite runner, which is sort of half a world away in, in Afghanistan. But um, 
when when you think about what this movie and the story and this character sort of how how it pokes you, um, what are what are ways that it pokes you in ways that like I guess are uncomfortable but helpful? Like what are what are ways when you like watch this movie or experience it again? You're like I needed to see this because it it what what is, what is it exposing in us? So for me, um, high school and then into college was this major transitional time in my life where I went from being a very conservative decision theology kind of uh, Southern Baptist, very influenced by the Southern Baptist faith Mm -hmm. to being um, recognizing my own Lutheran theology of, no, it's not my decision that saved me. It wasn't any act that I did. Um, My salvation comes from Christ and for my baptism and for what, from what Christ has done for me, um, as well as recognizing that God is a loving God and what that means for how I view others. Mm -hmm. Um, Because definitely when this came out in 2004 and I was in college or high school, um, it came out when I was way more on the conservative end of that faith journey. Mm. And so to me it was... Um, this this movie is a I think it's classified as a parody or is that satire? Satire, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so by kind of poking fun at these very conservative religious practices, which I do see in our world and our society today, mm-hmm. made me aware through humor that maybe the way I was trying to be Hillary Faye, but clearly in the movie, nobody should want to be mm-hmm. Hillary Faye. She's the character that kind of gets on everybody's nerves, made me realize in a very helpful way that, oh, the way that she is judging these other characters, whether it's because they're gay or because they chose to have sex before they were married or because they were going through a divorce or because of whatever. Mm-hmm isn't the way that God wants me to act towards those mm-hmm. people. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they are also beloved children of God. Mm-hmm. It's that hierarchy of sin that we so often get yeah. ourselves in, into the mess of in, in our theology is, you know, well, this sin is higher than this sin, and, and you know, if I'm not committing this sin, well, then I'm a better person. Mm-hmm. And how how easily each of us makes our own little running list of like the the things that really matter and the sins that don't count. And usually, how conveniently they line up with the things that I'm I'm good at avoiding. I haven't murdered anybody today, so that must be you know. And and, and it becomes really easy for us to mask and hide the yeah. things uh, that we do struggle with. Um, I was in a conversation with uh, a Bible study group the other day, and we were talking about how. Um, Collectively, uh, it seems like American culture is is uh, decent at saying um, we shouldn't steal from each other and we shouldn't uh, murder each other, um, but we aren't great at things like um, avoiding envy and uh, coveting. So, mm-hmm. also a ten, one of the Ten Commandments, and yet so much of our culture is like ingrained on you shouldn't be satisfied with what you have. You should, and that every advertisement we face uh, is basically feeding that beast of. You shouldn't be satisfied with what you have. You should want what somebody else has. And we've now built an economy, a consumer-based economy around you shouldn't be satisfied with what you have. And then what that even does to the modes of production. We, we increasingly buy things that will break so we can buy a new, fancier one faster rather than having the same lawnmower for 10 years and fixing it. I mean, that, I mean that, that 
And yet we've sort of decided that being a good citizen is being envious because that's good for the economy. Um, and, and there's all sorts of ways that we, we play that game of what, what sins are not only socially acceptable and we just sort of look the other way. We've like, no, nah, this is cool. Um, and how there, mm. there's something about um, – and maybe, maybe this movie doesn't ring true in other cultures the way it does for us where there's this – we like to cover over uh, – uh, our, our habits with uh, some way of making them religiously acceptable in a way that other cultures find different ways of doing. Yeah, because it's revealed like at the end that like, Hillary Faye does some really not nice things to some of her former friends mm-hmm. slash classmates mm-hmm. slash brother. Um, like she gets two students expelled by framing them for vandalism because the skater boy missionary mm-hmm. Patrick um, had asked the main character out for prom Mm, and mm -hmm. she's you know pregnant and super not what a good christian should be and she was planning on asking the good looking skateboarding missionary patrick to prom Mm. and so to get around this she framed mary the pregnant teenager and her friend the one jewish student cassandra Mm -hmm. um for vandalizing the school but it, mm. it turns out that actually she's the one that bought the spray paint. She was the one that went and vandalized the school and then planted this empty spray cans, spray paint cans in their lockers and got them expelled. Mm-hmm. Um, which, as you can imagine, I believe uh, is against several. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, it's interesting. Like that to me, that that reveals too one of the things that is insidious about the the human condition maybe uh especially as the scriptures talk about us being sort of these recovering at best sinners um that often it's not just whatever our original mess up is but there's there's shame or guilt over it and then we cover it up and that makes it worse you know Mm -hmm. that um there's and and maybe maybe to me like this is the the immediate connecting point with jesus regular interaction with the people who get labeled the sinners and bad people of his society versus the respectable religious people that jesus and when jesus says something that sounded i'm sure audacious back in his day of when he says to the religious people if you want to enter the kingdom of god get in line behind the tax collectors and prostitutes because when they got called on their mess ups they turned their lives around um and you respectable religious people are so interested in making yourselves look better you're not willing to you know, the, the, it's, it's that way that we want to cover up the things that are unpleasant or that we can't deal with about ourselves, and often that cover-up is what becomes worse. So now it's now it's whatever whatever original thing we weren't comfortable with or we messed up or, you know, whatever is, is not good about us or we've been told isn't good about us, then now we feed it and, and cover it up, and now we have to cover up the cover-up, and then it, becomes, it snowballs and becomes this, um, this even, even worse monster than whatever it was in the first place. And it seems like Jesus has his harshest criticism in the gospels for the Hillary phase you know the the people who who are really good at acting religious um but they're using that to either mask their insecurity or some uh, something unpleasant about themselves that they don't want to have to deal with their own or their sense of being good and just and righteous is as long as i'm better than somebody else i just mm. will hope god grades on a curve and as long as i'm better than somebody else then i'll get into the club well, it sounds like, you know, and I've seen this movie, it's been a while, but she's got this very legalistic idea of what Christianity is. Yes. You know, there's this checklist, and I have to be able to check off everything that I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. and then there's this checklist of bad things that I, you know, that I need to stay away from. It's very pharisaical, the way I see her. Oh, yeah, she's very much a modern-day Pharisee. You know, and how often do we fall into that same, you know, I, I, I've seen it in other movies, too, but... 
how often we fall into that because it's easier to say, well, if I do this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. Jesus will love me. And I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned this, this idea of that connection to, to Phariseeism. Uh, on the one hand, because that's a helpful shorthand of sort of the way we, we talk about sort of legalism. On the other hand, it reminds me that um, the actual party that were the Pharisees in the first century weren't black hat wearing mustache twirling villains. They were people who were doing their utmost to try and be faithful mm-hmm. to God, but they mm-hmm. gotten this sense of the way to do that is we'll observe these uh, external uh, regulations as our way of practicing our faith, and that it's possible in the midst of that to lose the forest for the trees. I mean, uh, Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee before coming a follower of Jesus. That also led him to persecute the Jews, but it's also why he knows the scripture so well. And there there were people who were devout and faithful, trying to do their absolute utmost to live for God, uh, who were out of that tradition of Pharise- uh, Phariseeism. Um, it's interesting, I've, I've read comments from modern-day Jewish rabbis who say, like, Christians... Uh, end up using that word Pharisee as just like becoming a straw man kind of a thing, and it, it's it's a helpful shorthand. But I think it's also helpful to remember that they are they were historically human beings as well, doing their best, and that means that that the Hillary Fay character, she's a she's a, a person who is. Um, somehow or other has been com- convinced that this is the way for her to be in right relationship with God. There's a piece of me that is more upset, less with her, but like what shapes her theology that she thinks that's the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, that, like it, it, it always goes a step further back of like, if you get, if you find yourself uh, a Hillary Fay, or if you find that you, you know, we are uh, a Hillary Fay kind of a person, what is it that's led us to become that kind of a person? What mm-hmm. picture of what Christianity is all, all about? So it, it didn't, it didn't start with her. Somebody before her mm-hmm. had taught her, yep, that's what Christianity is. Yeah, and like I said, I identify very strongly yeah. with Hillary Fay, which is also when I read a gospel story and, you know, somebody asks me, who do you identify with? Right. Usually I'm going to say the Pharisees. Right, right, right. Um, because it's that same, like Erica said, checklist. I yeah. have a checklist in my head about what I think a Christian should be. That checklist has changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a teenager and I was watching this movie, um, my checklist was based off of the lives of my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, very good Southern Baptist folk. But they had a routine in the morning of they would set the table for breakfast, which was cereal, and it always drove me crazy that, that they p- would put the milk out right away. And then they would get out their Bibles, and their breakfast stuff would sit there while they read a chapter of the Bible together. Um, one one of them would read the Bible, and then the next person, the other person would say this ridiculously long prayer (laughs) where they prayed for literally everybody that they knew. And the whole time I would just be thinking, the milk is getting warm. (laughs) The milk is getting warm, Grandma. Can we wrap this up? Um, But that's how they started out their day. And for the longest time, to me, that's what good Christians do, Mm -hmm. is that they would sit down at breakfast, and before they even touched their breakfast, before they broke their fast, Mm -hmm. if you will, they would read the word of God and then they would pray mm-hmm. for everybody because that's what they were called as Christians to do. And there's nothing wrong with right, that. Right, right, right. But in my head, like if you did not do that, and I was really bad about doing this when I was not at my grandparents, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be, I was, I'm not being a good mm-hmm. Christian because mm. I'm not checking the things off of my checklist. Mm-hmm. Um, now my checklist still has things on it. Like I think that as a good Christian, I should love people and that love should have some sort of physical mark i can't just be oh from afar oh yeah i love you Mm -hmm. but it's more like well how am i expressing that love Mm -hmm. am i not expressing that love adequately to this certain group of people who are being marginalized Mm -hmm. if i'm not doing everything that i think that i should be doing or could be doing 
am I being a good Christian? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the focus has become less of if I'm not doing these things, then God doesn't love me and I'm not actually saved. Now it's just more like, oh, well, God does love me. God has saved me. But boy, am I not responding the way I think mm-hmm. I should mm-hmm. be because mm-hmm. I should be doing these things. I think that's an interesting point that in some ways um, the the issue isn't just that there's one bad checklist, but we all end up with our own kinds of checklists about what we think the, mm-hmm. the right way to do Christianity is. And again, to, to some degree, you can't avoid having this sort of mental running picture of like practices that are essential to what our, our life is. But there's a difference between... Um, your grandparents having the regular cereal breakfast prayer practice and now legislating like if you don't do that I mean like there, there's a there, maybe there's that line of like mm. it's fine to have your own practices that are part of your own your own uh, faith life and whether they are your own individually that you've come up with or they're part of a religious tradition or a, you know a denominational tradition or whatever uh, whatever but it, there, there there's a, a move that gets made when it, when it goes beyond this is my practice to like and if you don't do it my way you are not authentic or something like mm-hmm. that well there should be also practices that you're doing because you want to not because you feel that you have to because I was very much the same way like I all through high school, college, even through seminary, it's only been the last couple of years of ministry that I've been able to get into a routine of doing some sort of devotional reading every day. Um, and for a long time, I, I just it felt like it's something I had to do. You know, I wasn't a good Christian if I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm realizing, okay, you know, if I miss a day, that doesn't mean I'm any less of a Christian or a pastor. It just means you know, I, I just didn't have time that day, and that's okay. God still loves me. But it's something I want to do now. Just like I want to love people, and you know, I want to love people as much as I want to, you know, love scripture reading. So I, I think there's something important there about that. That there's there's something valuable about our wanting to do a practice rather than it's because I'm so worried that God will flick me into hell if I miss a day of devotional reading or or. Uh, pray in the Psalms or whatever. Um, on the flip side, there's a piece of me that thinks one of the reasons that some of the essential practices of Christianity are important is that we uphold and say, this is worth doing even on the days I don't feel like it. You know, like there's a piece of me that is like, um, when, when I think about the things that I do uh, because I love my children, uh, it includes unpleasant jobs like laundry and washing dishes and making lunches when they change their mind every 30 seconds about what they think they want to have uh, and enforcing bedtime. These are all things that I do because I love my children, but not because I enjoy doing them. And there's there are points where it's like, this activity isn't fun for me, but this is part of what it is to be in this relationship that we have these people that I love. And while luckily God does not require me to do much divine laundry... Um, I do think there there are points where, um, like like uh, you had mentioned earlier, uh, Sarah, the idea of like uh, how we're called to love everybody around us. There are times where that's easy if people have been friendly and nice mm-hmm. to me. That's great. I can be nice mm-hmm. to them. Super easy. Um, but to be intentionally um, to practice love for people who've been rotten jerks, or people who've slighted me, or uh, people who uh, I have I've had past disagreements with, that's harder. And I don't do it because man, this is fun to do. But there's this this is what it is to follow and to be a part of this relationship with this particular God who has taught me this particular way of living. And I, in that tension, there's like, you don't want to err on the side of we have to do this all these stupid religious ritual kind of practices because otherwise God will throw us in hell. And on the other hand, I don't want Christianity to become sort of this, I feel like it when I, I do it when I feel like it, and if I don't feel like it, today's one of those days I don't have to love my neighbor because I don't feel like it. And somewhere in the, in the, in the middle is this, it's got to be living and genuine and real, and yet also that I'm willing to do things 
even when I don't feel like it. You know, there's, there's, I'm, I'm sure there are folks on Sunday mornings who don't particularly feel like going to church. There's Sunday mornings where I'm like, man, it would be nice to get to sleep longer. And I'm sorry, that's not an option. Not just that all the time. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I think, I think too, like there, there's something valuable about the experience, especially of being in worship when you don't feel like mm-hmm. it's, it's a reminder of like, oh, this is not about me right now, or oh, this is about there may be things that I need to be. Uh, to hear or to be fed by that I'm not conscious of. Um, and for that matter, I'm not the center of the universe. And part of gathering for worship is the necessary decentering. It, it's ultimately freeing and good to discover I'm not the center of the universe. But um, I, I'd say, like, this is one of those tensions, I guess, in the Christian life on, on that, that, uh, we we got to be able to, to hold on to practices even when we don't feel like it, but not let them become rigid and sort of ossified into, if you don't do these five things, you're not a good enough Christian. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, um, and, and I, I don't, I, this is one of those half-formed thoughts, so help me out here, but like, I'm not sure the phrase good Christian shows up anywhere in the Bible. Um, I mean, like, I get the idea that, like, this is what followers of Jesus do. But, like, at some point we invented this idea. Oh, there's what a good Christian is. Um, and and for a lot of Christian history, we've been fighting over what are the uh, acceptable hallmarks, what are the things that make you a good or bad Christian. Um, and... Um, there's a piece of me that, like, when I think about what Jesus' community uh, in the in the Gospels looks like, um, at its best is a bunch of thick-headed former fishermen and tax collectors who, even after the resurrection, are thick-headed enough to go, Jesus, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom? And he has to smack them upside the head. You totally missed it. You really? You didn't get it? Um, and that's at their best. <laughs> um, and the rest of the time includes anybody's and nobody's and Zacchaeus's and um, outcasts and that... Maybe Jesus' picture of what a good Christian is isn't. Maybe that's not even the language Jesus would use. I don't know. How does that? How does that? Is, is am, am I am I wrongheaded there? Maybe maybe we should we could re, we could rescue that phrase. I don't know. <laughs> well, considering that the word Christian barely shows up right, <laughs> right. to begin with, right. <clears throat> I mean, let's just you know mm-hmm. throw that out there. Let alone good Christian. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we we've done a disservice over over the centuries of putting out these rules and regulations of this is what. A good disciple, even to use that word, you know, mm-hmm. just the idea of good. Yeah. Um, who is good? You know, right. Jesus says, who is good? Nobody is good but our, but but our God, Father right. in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think we need to, we've done a disservice by saying, well, if you do this, this, and this, mm-hmm. then you're a good Christian, a good disciple, a good father, whatever phrase you want to, you know, put after that. Um, but that's not what I, that's, you're right, Steve, that's not what I see in the Gospels. That's not what I see in the letters. Well, and and if I if I push it that a little bit further, the community that Jesus surrounds himself with in the Gospels, they are his disciples because he's called them, not because they've met a certain level of uh-huh. acceptability, uh-huh. and that it's Jesus who defines uh-huh. his community, not the other way around, uh-huh. I guess. And um, maybe that's an important thing. Like in in, in our tradition, Sarah, that as, as Lutherans, one of our regular repeated phrases we, we uh, shout out ad nauseum when we're talking in Latin is that uh, that all of us are simul justus et peccator, always justified and sinful at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're to be uh, alliterative in English, saint and sinner at the same time. And I think the reason we've held on to that phraseology is to say that there's n- there's no one among us who are a-, a part of this community called church who's got it all right, that we are always constantly messing up and we are always constantly forgiven and, and started over again. And again, that's not Lutherans don't have a corner on that market. We just happen to own a Lutheran phrase about it or a, a yeah. Latin phrase for it. But yeah, I, I think that even in the New Testament and the Gospels, we still see that human desire to be 
the best. Mm -hmm. To be, quote-unquote, a good Christian or the best Christian. It seems like it emerges by the late epistles, to be sure. Well, yeah, but even when Jesus was still around, didn't his disciples have a big argument right right in front of him about which one was the greatest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, there's a piece of me that feels like every time I read one of those stories, it seems like, well, they haven't learned yet. They haven't learned yet. They haven't learned yet. And then you get to the other side of the resurrection and, like, you still have... Wait a second. When when is anybody going to learn this? And so, like, yeah, that's helpful. From... From the beginnings of this uh, movement, when it's Jesus and a bunch of itinerant fishermen, um, there's still this impulse of how do we prove that we're the best? Mm-hmm. When even like when I think about Peter's response in the midst of that, that one time where he's like, "Look, Jesus, we've left everything for you. We left our families and our jobs. Doesn't that make us?" And you know, again, he just sort of shakes his head. And is like, "Really, guys? This, that's not what this is about." And I think that's something that we all have to constantly relearn and relearn again. Because I know that it's still a struggle that mm-hmm. I have of. Mm-hmm. Uh, which probably doesn't help that I'm married to a fellow clergy and person, and that you know it's a constant, a little bit like, oh well, you think you had a rough holy right. week, <laughs> you should hear about right, my holy right, week, right. and um, you know it's really hard to not try to one up mm-hmm. each other on mm-hmm. either the difficulty of, oh my week in ministry was really hard, or. Man, I was on fire this week. What do you mean you don't have your sermon finished? <laughs> right. My sermon's finished, and I did this, 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 and right, this. And, right. Um, it's it, and that might just be because I am a pretty competitive person. It might be because, again, I identify as Hillary Faye mm-hmm. in the movie Saved. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but it is something I have to constantly be relearning and reminding myself. Hey, that's this isn't what this is about. Yeah. It's not about who had the toughest week in ministry or who is the most successful in ministry this week you know it's that's just what we do there is oh go ahead and it dates back to the beginning look at genesis 4 (laughs) right 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 yeah yeah who's better because who's got the better sacrifice sacrifice? Uh we've been comparing ourselves to each other ever since the fall and so you'd think after how many millennia that you know, humanity would have figured this out sure, by now. Sure. But our fallen nature just tells us, no, you know, you have to compare yourself to somebody else because someone has to be better and then someone has to be less. It's mm. fascinating that you, you mentioned that because it reminds <laughs> me of a story. I'm going to forget the original author, but I read a version of it in a piece by Daniel Erlander. Um, his, he has a compilation called Tales of the Pointless People. Uh, and the <laughs> opening story is a retelling of the, of the garden story. And the, the retelling is basically... Um, uh, uh, the first humans, so Adam and Eve are kind of the co-narrators, and like, you know, in the beginning, we weren't having a good time because we weren't keeping score. The snake came along and taught us we weren't having a good time because we were doing things like frolicking and playing and eating in the garden, and that wasn't good at all because we didn't know who was winning, and the snake came along and told us that the only way you're, you'll know if you're if you're having fun is if you're winning at this, and that you have to get points by it. And so it sort of recasts, retells that whole story and says, this is human history, and then at the end, there's this haunting, haunting end of the story where it goes like, my lifetime total for points is like 30,554 and I aspire that my children will get even higher scores than me and the last line is something like we're all so grateful for the snake Um, there's this sort of like man this is exactly the human story that uh, the the, the way uh, the Genesis story opens up it's Mm -hmm. this non-competitive like just be you're my beloved don't worry about it you're my beloved and how quickly it becomes "Mm, but am I Mm," you know and like man once we once we're once we're comparing ourselves to one another about who's more acceptable to God or a better person or whatever, 
instantly and and yet that's so alluring because it gives us this what looks like an objective external system for how to determine who's a good person well you've got more points so according to Irlander, we're all living in an episode of whose line is it anyway something like well like it's fu- it's funny how you mention that because like there's a lot of times in in my uh pastoral ministry where i've talked about like that lutherans are basically people who live the life who live out their lives like it's a game of whose line is it anyway you still you still play the game but the points don't matter and like and, and that like I, and I love I love that style of improv game playing comedy yeah. stuff that like there's a piece of me that's like the people who are good at that and who I am entertained by and seem like they're having a good time like are seriously not concerned about the points they're just playing the game because of this love of the app this is what we do this is this is how we act and the reminder at the end that the points are pointless in the end or you know weren't weren't meaningful um sort of reminds like that was never what this was about and so like in some ways i'm like yeah christianity needs to recover that sense of it was never about points despite all the ways that uh, even religious folks maybe especially religious folks keep adding in point systems of various kinds um it reminds me too of a quote of uh, frederick beekner's in one of his books where he defines theological terms in sort of a playful way. And he, he, he talks about what a Christian is. And if, if memory serves, at the beginning of it, he says, you know, there's some people think a Christian does certain things uh, or believes a certain set of facts about God. And um, in the end, uh, Beigner's definition goes something like, um, a, a Christian is, uh, he, he riffs on the line, Jesus says, you know, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And so says, he says, um, uh, Jesus doesn't say that any particular set of beliefs or actions is the way. He says that he is. Uh, so he so he says a Christian is someone who is uh, on the way, although not necessarily very far along the way, and has some half baked, dim witted idea of whom to thank. And I, I, I love the idea that it's not necessarily that we're better or uh, or uh, more moral or superior or athletic or tall or smarter than anybody else, but we have some half baked notion of whom to thank. Um, and that seems like a yeah yeah that that's on track. <laughs> we're not not even say we're very good at doing the thanking, but like okay we 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 get. At our best moments, this was not my accomplishment, but uh, this even this life itself is a gift. Um, any other final thoughts of things that you think we ought to, as folks living in 21st century American church life, uh, make from this character or this story? Um, I, I like how Hillary Faye's character arc ends in this movie. Because okay. it ends with this brilliant moment of self-awareness. Um, so she has like this kind of breakdown at prom... She gets into her giant handicap accessible van um, that she uses to transport her brother around in. And she drives it into this giant billboard of Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus' head falls off and lands on her van. And she gets out and her brother and his girlfriend, the um, one Jewish student, Cassandra, is there. And she's sitting on the grass and she says, Hillary Faye says... This isn't how I wanted to remember my prom. This isn't how I wanted to remember my life. Hmm. And so, and, and that's kind of the end of her story um, in this movie. Uh, and I, I think that's appropriate. It's just a whisper of a hope that hmm. she has become a little bit more self-aware about who she is and who she wants to be. And that... This how she's been acting isn't the end of her story. Mm. That there is room for growth. There is room for change. Um, and I and I think that's such a hopeful thing for her. We don't get to see how she changes, how she grows, mm-hmm. but that who she is right now, who she doesn't particularly like, 
isn't necessarily who she's always going to be. Yeah. And I think it's probably wise that the movie ends there and that we aren't given like a sequel or like 10 years later, but like this is, there's a sense of there will, there will be something, this, this, this has become a dead end. There will have to be a new direction and there will probably be mess ups in that new direction too. And that maybe part of mature faith is being able to embrace that there are mess ups along the way. And instead of pretending they aren't there or covering them up to mean like in this thing that I, there were things I regret about this choice, but this also shaped who I became when I led this, went to this way and this step and this step and this step, which allows us to embrace like that we're beloved at every step along the journey, not just when we arrive at perfection, but like along the way in our messiness. Well, um, I, I hope that you all uh, will join us for further conversations. This has been valuable. So one more time, the movie for folks who want to now like check it out themselves is saved. Yep. 2004, Mandy Moore is the lead. Well, is, 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 this, is this character? Yeah, she yeah. is uh, Hillary Fay. Uh, Macaulay Culkin is her brother, and Jenna Malone. Again, I'm not positive that's how you pronounce her last name. Is the actual main character? Gotcha, gotcha. We gotcha. didn't really talk about hardly at all. <laughs> She's for another day, maybe. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, bye. bye.